Alrighty, you know, I was worried about this here trip. But I'm kind of be joining shipping with the captain again. I have to agree, Pete. I mean, the leather and the drink service and everything in business class is nice, but you just can't be travelling in a ship you know like the back of your own hand. What in the blazes? Mostly. Now, what in the blazes have you malefactorous malcontents got in my cargo hold? Ah, uh, you don't need to be worrying about that, Captain. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot the captain of the bloody ship can just ignore things going on in his own boat. Oh, there are just some various promotional materials and some knickknacks useful at trade shows, along with some branded flyers. Oh, 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 you're telling me then my ship is full of VD? <laughs> no, we're not telling you that at all. Aye, since you seem to have found it on your own, it's not worth bringing up now. Oh, this is, this is outrageous. What is it with you two? I told you to stop all this promotional nonsense. Well, you know how it is, Captain. Once you experience VD, it's kind of hard to just get rid of it. Oh, you think so, huh? Well, I think a little different. See, I've got a big button over here marked airlock control. Oh, come now, Captain. It's not hurting anyone. Well, it's obviously doing a number on you two. If you could see yourselves wrapped up in your... Oh, what now? That's the interdiction, Warden, Captain. I know what it is, you moron. She said it herself. It was a rhetorical question designed to convey my frustration over being presented with a new problem to solve before I flush the two of you and your crate of keys out into the inky void. To the bridge! I've got to look at him now, Captain. Three of them, and the hull's the brightest shade of yellow I've ever seen. Uh, they're reading as, uh, caterpillars? Caterpillar class? What's a python or a warlock? Wouldn't have think one of them would have the range. No, they got the word caterpillar painted on the side of the ship in big black letters. And they got the bright orange flashing lights all along the top of the cockpit. Looks like we're being held, Captain. IFF says command handle is Chainsaw Charlie. Well, put them on screen. We'll see what the infuriating and pertinent interdicting imbeciles have to say. Oh my, that beard is is just... Huh, breathtaking's the word, Pete. I've never seen so much plant flannel. Shut it! So, Mr. Chainsaw Charlie, you've got to arouse the ire of the captain and company of the legendary pirate vessel Astute Moniker. Now state your business or feel her righteous, ravenous wrath. Oh, yeah, right, eh? Uh, if you could just stop your ship there and unload the cargo, everything be real good. Wait, wait, you, wait you're pirating us. Uh, did you not hear the part a minute ago when I told you that... Oh, was... yeah, we heard you. Europe's been chopped down, hoser. Old Chainsaw Charlie's been waiting to show the galaxy that the strategic thinking and development team is just a stump. There's a new crew in this neck of the woods. Oh, is that a fact now? Oh, yeah, sure. We are combat luggers, you know. Now just unload your cargo and there won't be no trouble here. Well, normally I'd be more than pleased to oblige you by sending you the worthless load of bric-a-brac my useless crew has saddled me with. But, uh, seems to me you're needing a lesson in both manners and tactics, which the STD team will be happy to provide. So, you want me to open the hold, Captain? Open the hold? What kind of idiot are you? Jones, unmask the cannons! Pete, away in the combat gig! I'll eat my hat before someone outpirates me. Now listen here, you scurry the scalawag. You drop your cargo, or you'll be sucking liquid rations out of a hollow ballpoint pen until Arbor Day. Oh, we're really sorry about this then, pal. Pete, strafing around on target too! Oh, nice shot, Pete. You weren't expecting that. Where is this? Hey! One more to pass him! Hey, where'd he go? I have a brace of missiles up your backside, you... Ah, oh, blast it! That were the killing shot! Four batteries have disabled, the third one's FTL, and he's still vanished. How is that even possible? We won! Oh, we didn't win! They ran! Buff-bellied, buffoonish, beflannel bastards didn't even accept defeat! Aye, we, we still won the battle, Captain. Ah, can I paint a single ship silhouette on the hull? How many cargo canisters did you scoop? We just used how many credits worth of ammunition? Hell, there could have been a bounty on every single one of them. <laughs> you really think it'd be a good idea for you to just walk in and claim a bounty, Captain? I do that thinking here, Jones, and don't you forget it. 
Ah, put us back on course, and send a report to the authorities about these... cursed... Ah! Uh, you want to report the other pirates, Captain? No. These are not pirates. I refuse to be associated with them. We're men of fortune, and we take the ill with the good. We give the lady her due when she demands it. Not so with that lot. The verse shall know that the combat loggers must be treated with derision, disdain, and defecation. I don't think that last word Didn't was... Didn't I tell you who does the thinking around here? My portside thrusters won't stop firing! I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like, literally green. My last nav check put me at the range point four. This is Control, be a radio. Keep calm, and remain on the guard frequency. Citizens, civs, captains, and commanders, you've tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 152 of the best damn space in podcast ever, and was recorded on Friday, January 20th, and made available for download Tuesday, January 24th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Ken Shadow. And I'm Ostron. And he's a little shy at the moment. Well, actually, he's just not recording, but Tony's lurking around and he'll be commenting on various pieces as we go. So what do we have this week, Ostron? On this week's Squawk Box, people are listening to Tony. Okay, no, but some do share his opinions. On the flight deck, we see what news has landed from your favorite space sims as we bring you ships, swarms, and schedules for Star Citizen. Elite Dangerous wants you to do your part, and remember, the only good bug is a dead bug. We discuss the Collector's Edition and ground vehicles coming to No Man's Sky, and details on how Descent Underground are trying to get the 90 FPSs in there, too. Finally, we turn into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Switch is normal. Crypter, 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 this is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. Well, thanks partially to now President Trump, but probably due to the massive budget and time overruns, the sun may be setting on the F-35. I'm pretty sure this doesn't mean the president is going scorpion shopping just yet, but instead, Boeing is taking the opportunity to remind people about the Super Hornet, the F-18, not the F-7C. Their pitch, which they've been putting out since 2013, is that the F-18s are a proven platform. They've been kept up to date with modern technology, and what they give up to the F-35 in stealth, they more than make up for in maneuverability. Also, the plane does not come with a further $500 million price tag before it's usable. Oh, also, it costs half as much to run. Clearly, this is a tough sell to the U.S. government. But Boeing's at least convinced Canada. As of December, they've cancelled their order for F-35s to replace their CF-18s, which are based on the earlier F-18As and Bs series, and are instead going with the Super Hornet. If more agencies and countries follow suit, it could be the death blow for the F-35. Part of the reason Lockheed could keep the price of each jet down, comparatively speaking, is because they had so many pre-orders, so to speak. If people start canceling those pre-orders, then the price of each individual jet goes up. If the trend continues, it may price itself out of the market, let alone whether or not the thing actually works. Interesting. Though I see the F-35 and the F-18 being totally two different birds in, in totally two different roles. It's true, but the problem is that the F-18 is already widely used. It's, yeah, it's shared I, among the Navy and the Air Force. Yeah, I'm not the F-18 at all. Yeah. Uh, it, it's an it's a awesome uh, piece of hardware, but uh, the F-35 is, you know, a class unto itself. It's almost like an F-22, and then we haven't heard much about the F-22 in, in a while. Well, the F-22 has its own problems, but the F-35's problem is that it's trying to be everything to everyone all at once. Now, the only branch of the military that absolutely has to have the F-35 is the Marines, because the Harrier will simply fall apart in the next decade or two. I mean, right. they're, just, they're just old, and they're used roughly. You know, they're vertical takeoff landing, they're uh, ex exposed to saltwater environments on ships. I mean, they, they ha the Marines have to have the F-35C. I'm sorry, that's the B. The B is the uh, Stobel version. But they're going to have to have that. But everybody else could get away with F-18s. And there's uh, we reported on Squawk Box a few months ago, there's the F-15 version that they sold to Saudi Arabia, 
which can carry like three dozen missiles or whatever ridiculous number it is uh, on the upgraded hard points. Plus it has updated stealth features because they can't the tail fins out and all kinds of other stuff. So there's the stealth eagle. There's the Saudi Arabia version of the eagle. There's the upgraded Super Hornet. The G model is the uh, electronic warfare variant. So that has been recently updated with modern tech. Uh, and they would just have to refit it away from electronic warfare back to combat. So, I mean, there's a lot to be said for having multiple airplanes filling multiple niche roles rather than one size fits all for everybody. Especially since the one size fits all isn't actually working for anybody. Yeah, it's missing a sleeve and the neck hole is off to the side. And yeah, and like it, it's 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 Argyle. And not, not like good Argyle, but like puce green uh, Argyle. Well, it, it's missing really a function of a good torso like the A-10 filled. I mean, I, yeah. well, I, I mean, love that A-10. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it, yeah, it, and it does what it's built for, right? I mean, the A-10 is the close air support role, and it loiters, okay? Yeah. So that's 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 the thing it does really well. Now, the F-35 can loiter because it's you know sort of fuel efficient and all that kind of thing, but it can't loiter very long because it's got one big engine and it's shorter range. Right. So, I mean, it can do it, but it doesn't do it as well as the A-10. Just a brief note, a representative from Boeing actually quoted the single engine as a problem in that if a random foul gets sucked in, the F-35 is going down, whereas the F-18 still has another engine to work with. And that's huge in carrier takeoffs because that's uh, the compressor stalls. If you have if you have a compressor stall, which does, I mean, it's like an unavoidable thing on it on carrier cat launches. If you have a compressor stall, kiss that F thirty five goodbye. Hopefully, the, the pilot probably can get out, but the F thirty five has been having problems with its ejection seat, so we can't really be sure of that either. So, a compressor stall eventually essentially kills this. I don't even know what the price tag of an individual airplane now that the Canadians have canceled, but it's it's three digit millions bare minimum. So, kiss it goodbye, and hopefully, you can get the pilot back over a compressor stall. Which is going to happen? Oh, because the engines have troubles too. But and then and well, here, but here's the other flip side: parts of the F-35 are made in virtually every congressional district in the United States of America. So if you cancel the F-35, there's going to be jobs lost or you know defense money, contract money taken out of every contra of every congressional district in America. Yeah, but that was sort of the point on this one: is that at some point, if this goes badly enough for Lockheed Martin, it may not be a matter of the congressional people saying anything one way or another. The Pentagon would just go, okay, look, the price of each individual plane is up to like $750 million, so we'd need like $3 trillion to fill out our fleet because we're the only people buying this plane. You mean reality is going to catch up with politics? <laughs> bold claim, sir. A bold claim. We'll see how that works out. I think I think there's I think there's some optics here. I think it seems it's a big fat target, and if they can creatively juggle some numbers or get the Canadians to re up or you know sell it to a different customer that orders sufficient numbers. Yeah. All um, right. So so Canada E, um, how many jets does actually Canada order? I think there's like I think maybe like a wings worth like uh, three or four dozen. I think they're going to order three or four dozen if I remember. Really? Right. What do they use jets for? Uh, maritime patrol. They've got that Great White North Day, like the whole Northwest Passage, you know, like the melting of the Arctic ice caps and stuff, you know. So they got to monitor all of that at business, eh? They're bigger than the United States, so, uh, I mean... I know they have a large landmass. I just figured they use boats. Can't always sail boats because uh, sometimes it does get ice locked. So sometimes air air intercept is the only way you can you know, monitor that stuff. So they get a lot of use out of their jets, but, you know, they, they've got to be probably longer range and they need to... Probably not single engine because if you if you go down over the Arctic Ocean, you're done for. You may not be coming back. Even even if your ejection seat works, you may not be coming back. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. Three one seven five Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for January 20th, 2017. $141.8 million, up about 386000 $1.724 million registered accounts, up about 5900 $1.204 million ships in the UEE fleet, 
up about 5,300. Just prior to this recording, CIG released their newsletter where the first item is the 2.6.1 release schedule is being published. The most obvious thing added in 2.6.1 will be the leaderboards. Also, they're planning on releasing a mini patch, though it still counts as 2.6.2. That will improve map loading times and will also support multi-region game servers. The rest of the newsletter rehashed some things covered in Around a Burst this week. Star Citizen's general development news and ATV didn't cover anything like 3.0 or Squadron 42, but they did get some news about the tangible items they're working on. The first item is the Explorer flight suit, designed to be worn by extra vehicle explorers who aren't necessarily focused on or expecting a firefight. Like the combat armor, eventually the suits will have different varieties and add-ons that provide benefits in certain scenarios. The Drake Buccaneer, unofficial motto, it's not the privateer centurion, we swear, has moved up to gray box. Specifically, the fuselage, engines, wings, and front landing gear are all ready to go. The nose, cockpit, and rear landing gear are next on the list since those are nice to have when you want a functioning fighter. Most of the time in ATV was focused on other things snuck into 2.6 apart from Star Marine. There have been promises and rumors about the Pirate Swarm gameplay mode since Arena Commander debuted, and now it's finally arrived. Apart from giving backers an alternative PvE dogfighting experience from Vandil Swarm, the devs are also using it as a testbed for the Susumption AI. Since they want to keep a lot of the Vandil ships under wraps for Squadron 42, Vandil Swarm doesn't let them test things like bombers, ships with turrets, or multi-crew vessels. However, all those things exist as human ships. Fill them with AI pirates and the devs can train and test new behaviors. As part of that paradigm, the different ships in Pirate Swarm have a different behaviors. Aurora's flies brawlers, 350R's behave like snipers, M50's are general harassers, really annoying, Cutlasses act as gunships, gladiators are so-called punishers and really hard to kill, and Connie's function as battleships. Also, they've improved the AI's use of afterburners. Specifically, they actually use them now. Players will also notice the pirate skins are implemented for all the ships they're facing in Pirate Swarm. Primarily black and red, the pirate skins are designed to make the ships look more menacing, along with having a clear-cut way to tell at a glance which ships are trying to kill you and which ones are more likely to help you out. We make no assumptions about the so-called friends you invite to join the game with you. Also announced during ATV, there has been more evolution of the Stark Citizens community coverage. The community team-specific content, such as MVP, and other community updates will be siphoned off into their own show to premiere on Mondays. There was also a subscriber town hall this week, but we're going to defer coverage on that content until our next show. Most of the topics concern future goals for the Persistent Universe, so it's not likely to change much in a week. So, uh, I think I mentioned last time that I got to Wave 18 in Pirate Swarm, and I did appreciate that each of the pirate ships um, flew uh, significantly differently. When you're engaging them, you actually had to use varying tactics in order to, to beat um, several of them. Like I mentioned earlier, the, the M50s were really annoying, and you really had to think about sometimes, I'm going to engage this harasser a lot differently than I'm going to engage, say, a, a vanguard who is very meaty and can't turn very well. So uh, I really appreciate that, and I look forward to them adding even more behavior tweaks to those ships. Yeah, I actually downloaded and played it a few hours ago. Did you have the experience where enemy ships would just randomly die for no reason? Well, what were you playing in? Were you playing in a, like an asteroid fed? No, I was playing in an asteroid field, but there was a couple of times where it would show enemy ships have arrived, and then maybe three seconds later, it, two or all of them even would just be I, gone, like they would die. I'm not seeing all of them die. Um, I, if you're playing alone with your AI wingmen, your AI wingmen are actually really good, and so yeah, they stole a significant number of kills from. Yeah, so I like in in the first couple of waves, if you don't do anything, they will just kill everybody. Yeah, but this was, I mean, like I said, this was a matter of seconds. So unless the oh. AI ships literally afterburned straight into an asteroid, or the AI pilots like all fired swarms of eight missiles at once <laughs> i think something's up no but no I, other than that it was i have seen really cool things though where like i'll, I'll hit somebody and 
they'll lose control and start spinning or something like that and hit an asteroid. Or I've hit I've hit AI where they've lost partial thruster control and they'll drift outside of the simulation and die. Yeah. So that's been neat. But no, I've never never glitched through a wave or anything like that. And uh, the more pirate skins, the better is what I say. Yeah, they did look pretty good for most of the ships that I saw. Oh, I don't know if we mentioned it previously, but there was a video floating around where people blew up a um, Vanguard and the pirates inside the Van- AI Vanguard are actually modeled characters. And actually there are multiple of them and they both kind of float out when you see it break up. So uh, whether they're actually modeling them as separate people in there, but I, I do know the turrets kind of operate a little bit independently. So it's interesting the way that they're doing this AI. And um, I, I'd be interested to know if they actually model those pieces as separate entities or whether that's just, just fluff. Star Citizen Community question. Have you played Pirate Swarm? What's your impression? How does it compare to Vandal Swarm? In Elite Dangerous, the bugs are coming. No, not those bugs. While the insectile Thargoids may or may not have arrived in Elite Dangerous, an unintended glitch in the mission chain delving into alien archaeology seems to have emerged to destroy us all. Actually, while at first it was believed that the bug was causing players in solo mode to be unable to unlock all of the decoded messages involved, Frontier has since confirmed that it is in fact a problem with the open play more messages are being unlocked than was supposed to be possible. What this means in terms of the mission chain is yet to be seen, but it may give those braving those heavily trafficked areas in open play a leg up in the short term. In further alien exploration news, the community goal to collect unknown artifacts for Sirius Corp ended today after only seven hours of its two-week duration. As a result of the virtually unprecedented speed in which this goal was completed, Frontier has stepped in and added another. This one, a renewed call for data from the alien obelisks for engineer Rom Tal. Given other community goals, which ended extremely early in recent months, such as this year's holiday gift run rewarding the Chrome Eagle skin, perhaps Frontier should intervene further in the future or even extend goals based on the rate of progress. Yeah, in general, Frontier seems to be really bad at estimating how long it'll take their player base to do things. I think for a lot of it, it's that they just sort of set a standard time period and then just sort of sit back and see what happens. They don't maybe give a lot of thought to how easy it is for somebody to jump in and do a whole bunch of a thing all at once or to organize a group of people to, to sort of you know swoop in and get it done. I'm a, I haven't actually participated in any of these community goals. Is it you just do them and you get some sort of special benefit? Why, what's the yeah. point about ending them early? I mean, why, why would they do that? Well, what you do, there's, uh, in fiction, basically some faction or group or person needs a thing at a place. Or uh, the faction or group or person needs a bunch of bad guys killed at a place. So you, you take off and, and bring the quantity of item to that station or planet, uh, or you kill a bunch of bad guys in that system and turn in the bounty credits for, for that there, and you get an additional bonus. So if you're carrying gold someplace, not only do you get to sell the gold at whatever profit you get, but also you're entitled to a bonus depending on how much you've contributed to that system's gold sales. So it's like it's a you get a double whammy of reward for it. So and you know not only if you if you kill a bunch of pirates in in the system, you not only get the bounty vouchers for doing that, you also get a a tiered level bonus for what share of bounties you turned in at that system. So there's an overall total amount that, you know, the in-fiction character has been authorized to pay, right? It can shell out 30 billion credits worth of rewards for bounty kills, or it, it's authorized to buy 10 billion credits worth of, you know, gold or, or food. And once you hit that, you're done. The, the community goal has been fulfilled. It sounds like they should provide multiple locations. Well, they do. Usually there's two or three community goals, right? So, like, sometimes we're in the same place, but, like, there's one goal that's bringing cargo and one is the bounty kills in the same spot. Or they separate it. You know, over here you need to turn in exploration data, but over here you need to uh, bring data scans. You need to, you know, scan a bunch of ships and turn in uh, classified data bank things. So mm-hmm. they vary it week to week and they vary by location and sometimes it's in the same location sometimes it's spread apart. But... I think they need to do a little more thinking about it's not hard to empty out the next door neighbor station of bio waste, but it's a lot tougher to mine 500 tons of 
you know, whatever ore. So those goals kind of go neglected or filled just barely in time, whereas some of the cargo run ones get done very quickly because it's easy to sort of mob the nearby stations and, and get that done. So, But I think it speaks to a deeper problem that community goals are so obviously a way to get a leg up on the earn rate. And I think that's something that Elite has had trouble with is how much is your free time worth in unlimited fake money? And so, you know, sitting down and doing passenger missions, depending on where you're at, could be so much more lucrative than, say, bounty hunting. But when you throw a community goal on top of bounty hunting, oh my god, everybody has to do it. Because you make so much more money doing that. Even two years in, I think it, it's, it's hard for a company to match that earn rate to what people's free time is, quote, worth. Because when you can give people unlimited credits and they have limited free time, you know, making that balance work is, is, is a trick for any game company, I think. That's that's why most MMOs have moved to secondary currencies, right? Everything else has like, yeah. you know, dozens of currencies based on reputations or things that you're earning. And that's the way they kind of semi-reset everybody regularly for expansions yeah. and, and things like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, that's one feature of Frontier that they're very strict about to a degree that I haven't seen in other games is that you can't earn useful items any way other than through gameplay. I can't buy a gun in the Frontier store. I have to go out and find a way to do missions to earn the credits to buy the gun. Well, I, um, I didn't mean real money. I meant alternate currencies in turn, inside the like game. Like yeah. reputation marks or... or Yeah, like or, you earn like blue trophies from the tribal yeah. achievement, you know, and you get like... Well, they gate it. They, they gate that. Like you have to have certain reputation levels, right? You can earn reputation points... To gate those things too, but you can't trade them. But I mean, like, like again, you know, the a lot of other MMOs have the, the reputation's one thing, and you know, or, or yeah. you get uh, Jeff. You probably know there's there's like a million different currencies in WoW, right? Oh yeah. That aren't there's not just gold. There's other things, and like you do these rep quests, but you don't get to just get rep. You get like a currency, but you can only spend that currency at like a faction vendor or something like that, right? And so uh, that's the way they kind of uh, gate things when new expansions come out. So people just don't walk in there and say, hey, I've got a billion gold. I've been playing this game for 20 years, right? Yeah. They walk, you, have to go, you have to go through the same grind any other new player comes into that area because it's a totally new currency and there's no, there's no way to buy the one with the other. Yeah, there's, there's no second currency. It, it, to use your analogy, if they wanted to do that, doing these community goals would earn you the blue trophy, right? Because right, they would right. say they'd be driving people to an event you show up, earn those marks or those tokens, turn it in for whatever level reward you would get, and then you just go. They skip all that. They're like, nah, everyone just gets credits. Everyone just gets the generic space bucks. And, I mean, and, that's, and that's fine from a, it's fine from a consistency point of view, but I mean, it, it sounds like in some ways a big MMO no-no. You know, it's a lesson that a lot of other MMOs have, have learned and eventually gone through to something else. Um, it I, sounds like here yeah. they have like this very very restricted reward system, right? And sure. um, you know, I mean, it's a complaint, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's, it's totally. It's, it's. A, I think it's a very valid criticism. I think the way Frontiers decided to handle it, though, is that we're going to keep tweaking away at this model. I think they really believe that they can find the sweet spot of getting everyone to use the free currency and use it only, and use it for all the things in the game because they have this very strict model of some MMOs have a time currency and our lingua franco around here is Star Trek Online that's the dilithium if you put your button in the seat and play our game for a certain amount of time you get dilithium you may get lucky on that run and also find a lot of loot that you can turn in as vendor trash and get a lot of the freebie currency the energy credits you know you get a lot of loot currency which is kind of random number generated plus you get the time currency which is just cheeks and seats and then if you want to purchase things in our shop you can pay cash and get the zen they've got kind of a triple dance going on with currencies there and then plus they have marks and tokens and all that other garbage too but frontiers decided we're just going to keep tweaking the model and i think that the fact that, that some community goals get used up in hours and some of them take the full two weeks i think that just speaks to the fact that there's they haven't found the sweet spot yet <laughs> they're still looking uh, but, you know, hey, it's, it's their game, then keep trying. Descent Underground is currently playing with their lights. This isn't because Christmas is over, it's because of their frame rate. They're trying to introduce dynamic lighting in maps to reduce the amount of loading the game does from hard disk. 
While this is a nice optimization feature in general, their primary motivation is that they want to get the game up to 90 FPS. Why are they targeting a frame rate that even most gamers don't demand? Oculus. In order to list a game on the Oculus Store, it has to be able to reliably output graphics at 90 frames per second so that VR can work, and this is partially why so many 3D games have comparatively simple and low fidelity graphics. The first map they're targeting for is Demrose, with Valor soon to follow. Meanwhile, the game devs are exploring options for adding difficulties to the game's AI bots. Apparently, a large portion of the player base are getting face-rolled by the current AI. Doubly impressive since the AIs neither have a face nor a keyboard to roll it on. A new, easier mode is now being tested on the Valor map. The other maps will keep their ass-kicking drones for a while longer while they test the new setting. So yeah, once they've done this tuning for the new, easier AI, I believe they'll be adding that as an in-game switch for when you start up a, a co-op or a single-player game. This isn't kind of like restricted to maps and definitely this is just for testing purposes. Didn't they already downgrade the difficulty of the AIs a while ago? They had a placeholder AI um, originally, and then they decided to switch over to Moon Collider, which is the same stuff that Star Citizen uses. And I think when they switched over to Moon Collider, it got really hard. Because I was going to say, if they downgraded it originally, and now they're having to downgrade again, they must have been starting with, like, absolute murder bots. Yeah, I, I think the original AI was kind of cheaty, so it's this is a little... <laughs> the new AI is it's just good. <laughs> ah, okay. Now they're not cheating. They're just flat out better than you. <laughs> yeah, so I tried the game out in, in an Oculus Rift, and it's a really smooth experience. I have a pretty beefy machine, so maybe their, their target machine is the issue with the 90 frames per second. But um, I, I think I'm able to get there handily with what I have. I haven't played a long extended period of time, so I don't know if it makes me sick or anything. But in general, it feels pretty good in VR. Well, there's one thing that'll run off new players. It's a murder bot AI, so that's because they're going to have the switch. <laughs> now they'll need to find that sweet, happy medium, right? You know, something that's not too easy, something that's you know, just right. Right. One of the main reasons they're putting a lot of work into this AI now is because, not not just people complaining, but they're hard at work on the single-player version of the game. Yeah. And so this, this all kind of comes into that, too. Yeah, having a good single-player experience or a good tutorial is something that they could learn you know, from... You know, again, Elite Dangerous, you know, they don't have any of that at all. So you know, having uh, something that can ramp you up you know, versus the AI and uh, help you through in a single-player experience to learn the systems, that would be very useful to new player adoption. So our Descent Community question, have you gotten your ass kicked in the tunnel? Do you think the bots are too hard? Let us know how you fared. Hello Games appears to be doubling down on life support for No Man's Sky. Based on recent Steam reviews, it's not a wasted effort. Reviews since the release of the last patch average out to mixed rather than mostly negative. It's not exactly a glowing endorsement, but it's still a step up from where they started. The next big thing for the game isn't really a surprise for those who have been following the game diligently. Well, our research badgers weren't surprised anyway. Like Star Citizen backers, No Man's Sky has players who will delve into the underlying code to look for easter eggs or just assets they can play with. One of those delvers hit virtual pay dirt. References to a ground vehicle were contained in the code in a Google Doc discovered by the diggers. Based on the discovered information, there will be a mini quest line in order to construct the vehicle, triggered by building a vehicle terminal and hiring a mechanic. Once acquired, the machine will be upgradable with features like improved handling, mounted weapons, and a vertical booster, presumably for those planets whose landscapes resemble Switzerland more than the Netherlands. There's no indication of when the update is due to be released, but fans are hopeful that it will make for a better game, if not necessarily a better space zone. Unfortunately, right when excitement for the new ground vehicle was trickling out to the masses, Hello Games managed to flub their PR efforts again. When it was first available, No Man's Sky had an Explorer's Edition. Following the pattern of many AAA games today, this was the high-priced edition of the game that featured physical memorabilia to go with the digital bonus features and the game itself. In the case of No Man's Sky, there was a pen and a wearable pin, but the big treat was a die-cast metal spaceship model with a stand, decals, and a backdrop that could make a nice diorama. For those who don't want to look it up, the spaceship in question resembles a Battlestar Galactica Viper without the dorsal wing. 
If you wanted a small metal spaceship, you needed to shell out 150 US dollars, which is 150% more than the base cost of the game. After a long delay in shipping, which was a separate issue lumped in with all the other launch problems, the Explorer's Edition's physical content started arriving at customers' homes over this past week. The reception was less than stellar in many cases. The models were apparently not as high quality as images suggested, and several had broken wings due to inadequate padding. The set also came with decals that were supposed to be used for customizing the ship. But apparently, decal-like decorations were pre-painted onto the models, leaving little room to apply the custom ones. The stand for the ship in the promotional pictures also featured a design resembling the Atlas from the game itself, but on arrival was a simple matte gray. Nothing has yet been heard from Hello Games either acknowledging or addressing the issues. So I was actually really excited for that model. I didn't end up ordering it because it's $150. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I looked at it and I was really tempted. I was like, that is my really, son that looks was really too. Cool. Yeah, my son was too. He was looking forward to this game as well. And I said, well, you know, it's a Kickstarter and things happen. Probably best to wait to see it until it comes to me. Blah, blah, blah. Wise daddy. You know, wise <laughs> daddy words came out of my mouth. So then I downloaded No Man's Sky and played it. And I'm like, not not really the same. I can't say I'm terribly surprised that it turned out like that. It was a good concept. It should have been given, like, twice the devs and another year to bake. It was, right. it was, it was premature, yeah. The common argument now is that if it had been released with all of the content it has now... And half the marketing. Plus possibly... Yeah, half the marketing and plus possibly this ground vehicle that is in the works. It may not have been, like, a amazing game, but it at least wouldn't have crashed and burned like it did. A perfect example of inattention to this game is this is this model thing. Didn't they order, I mean, companies that do this stuff, and I'm sure probably order five to ten of these things just to see how their production values are, are, are going to come out. And they get inspected, and they get looked over, and they go, okay, if they don't arrive like this to our customers, I'm going to sue your pants off. Yeah, th- this was not a thing with this, I'm sure. it's We had an obligation. We got to fulfill it in the worst, you know, in the cheapest and fastest way possible. Let's just let's just be done with it. Well, but, this, this, this whole thing was subcontracted out. I don't know if anybody ever took a look at that, but the, the whole special edition was, was subcontracted through a toy company. Everything was kind of pointing at another website in order to buy this particular edition. It wasn't like, it yeah, wasn't just, just like not, another, yeah. another one. This does not surprise me. I mean, the, the game company, Hello Games and Sony, are interested in digital distribution and publication. People want something physically shipped, you send it to China. And they're going to manufacture the box, and they're going to manufacture the diorama background, they're going to manufacture the ship, and they're going to put it in there, and they're going to put it in a container ship that'll sail across the ocean, and then, you know, sit on a dock for three weeks in Los Angeles, and then get broken down and mailed out to everybody. Yeah, even Star Citizen subcontracted the the diecast. Oh, and the mount, and this and this keyboard pad that I've got underneath my keyboard and and all that splendor. They subcontract all that stuff, but the on particularly on the models, those were actually pretty good quality. The Connie models, in particular, if you look at them, they're highly articulated. They have lots of detail. They're not a lot of painting, but overall, it's it's surprising like what you get for the money on the Connie model. Right, but this goes this goes way into my argument that that Kickstarter may not be the best place to 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 build a AAA game. This is an antithesis of a Kickstarter, though. This was Hello Games. The reason uh, this game sucks is because Sony forced them out the door. Yeah, No Man's Sky was never a Kickstarter. They would have. I, I I firmly believe this game would have been better as a Steam Greenlight slash Kickstarter. People would have been much more forgiving of it. Probably would still have a cult following. People probably bring the Star Citizen mounted. Oh, no, there's, there, there's still a cult following for this game. It's just a lot smaller than it is for most other yeah. games. You may be right, that, but here's the, part of the, here's the other part of the problem, is with combining the Kickstarter thing with the, the, with the tchotchkes that you know, people are, are out there versus an actual fun game to play. Part of the whole Kickstarter open development, alpha, beta testing, all that kind of stuff is, here are the features we plan, here are the features that are going to come, here are the features we're going to ship with. The game shipped with incomplete feature set. It was terrible. 
I mean, I liked it for like the first few for the first hours. I got into it. I I play. I pushed the translation bit to the very edge. I pushed the resource thing to the very edge. I modded my gun to the very edge. But once I did those three things, there was literally nothing left, and I wasted a lot more time on it than I think I would have because I was hoping to get to the next thing. And then I find out. I come to find out that once you reach the center of the galaxy, you just start all over again. Oh, and I'm done. And now I hear there's, oh, this new patch, you can build your base, and you can do some of these other things. Oh, that sounds cool. But then I hear, well, if you wait a little while longer, you get a ground vehicle. Do you understand how much faster and how much more progress and how much more fun this game would have been if I could have been driving around the planet rather than running everywhere? I ran for miles on that stupid planet. Although, if you manage to figure out how to do that forward dash boost thing, you could traverse the planet a lot farther. But, I mean, a lot faster. But, yeah, your your point is valid. Yeah, the Having a complete feature list at launch, setting expectations for your customers at launch, or saying, here's the features we're going to have at launch, if that's not enough for you, just wait. Patch 2 will have these other things, and probably you might like that better. But, but that, that kind of goes back to It's not so the, much setting the expectation that your tchotchke is going to make it there in one piece. It's the thing you're paying for is going to get to you in one piece, and you're going to like it. That's the part. That goes back to the funding and development model, though. The reason that Hello Games did one big release and has like these weird slices is because of their relationship as a normal game company through a normal publisher. If they had had an open development model or done a Kickstarter-style thing where they they're continuing to take pledges and things like mm. that. I, I think that people would be a little more open to this and say, oh, you know, uh, you know, Alpha 3, you know, is going to have ground vehicles in there, you know, oh, that's, that's cool. It's still an Alpha, you know, and have all the same arguments we have with Star Citizen where it's just an Alpha. Everybody behave, you know, and much less criticism, much more back and forth rather than this closed wall we got too much negative feedback and Sony's really mad at us and they're telling us not to do PR anymore. You know, things like that. Our No Man's Sky community question. Does a new ground vehicle pique your interest in the game? Or is this physical merchandise failure the final nail in Hello Games' coffin? Let us know. But now it's time for news we didn't use. The January issue of Jump Point is available for CIG subscribers. The Frontier Store now offers Coriolis Station bobbleheads for Elite Dangerous, both modern and wireframe style. And they actually rotate. However, they spin in the wrong axis. Literally unplayable. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly! So let's just be friendly! Some say he thinks these aren't the goids we're looking for, and that he thought Galnet was a 1940s dating service, but all we know is he's called the Shiv and he helped put together this week's feedback. Community question one. Things are a-changing for six community content. Is the bigger focus on development and streamlining of messaging, or more obfuscation and diluting of backer involvement? Question two. Do you like Elite Dangerous 2.2.03? Have you run into the Thargoids? Let us know your experiences, complaints, or praise. And the debate topic. Do space sims need to have a universal control schema that is mostly standard game to game, or has that ship sailed and the ability to adjust control schemes in-game as sufficient mitigation. Krell writes in and says, there's one major difference between having a default control set for a mouse and keyboard versus joystick. You can pretty much count on all keyboards having the same basic set of keys, and all mice having at least two buttons and a scroll wheel, unless you have an old Mac. The joystick world, however, pretty much just every joystick has a unique button layout. Essentially what you're asking is for each game to try and create a standard layout for each separate Thrustmaster stick. Warthog slash T16000M, CH product sticks, fighter stick, flight stick, combat stick, Cytec, ooh, friends don't let friends buy Cytec stick, 
There's something like eight production models, but they're all crappy, so I'm not going to bother. The opinions expressed by Guard Frequency listeners are not necessarily those of the host or production company. For other opinions about real flight stakes, please consult people that have opinions. Yes, please no hate mail. Any number of other manufacturers, remembering that each one among the same manufacturers has a completely different button layout, number of buttons, etc. If you limit it to just pitch and yaw or pitch and roll, and even something as simple as that has variations because not everybody likes the same combination of axes. Some sticks have twists, some don't, and one or two buttons. That's a far cry from mapping half the keyboard to a standard function set. Now let's add throttles. Smiley email face. He seems to be overcomplicating it yeah. just to prove it. Yeah, uh, my, my, my contention was that just like movement keys, you know, you have your WASDs and, and uh, jump, or which is the space bar and, and sprint. Joysticks need to have the same movement. When I was advocating the control scheme, it was mostly about the movement. Well, even keyboard and mouse, like you go to play Star Citizen and you go play Elite Dangerous, they aren't necessarily the same things on the keyboard Exactly. Much like uh, flight sims have the same, you know, engine start. They don't have a reverse uh, uh, so much to say as uh, in in atmospheric flight as space sims have forward, reverse, up, down, pitch, yaw, you know, those things. Those need to be pretty well mapped out in the joystick. And the examples I gave was when I play Descent or when I play Elite, automatically my throttles, I push forward, I go forward. I, I pull back, I reverse. Even I even fired up an old game, uh, Jumpgate, which was a MMO back uh, in 2000 and, and later. It mapped exactly the same. You know, uh, it, it shouldn't be that hard. Joysticks are not a new thing. I mean, this, this should be old stuff we're talking about because joysticks are not new yeah to jump in there i'm I, I, you know you accuse krell of a, you know if i could borrow another jeremy clarkson of over the pudding i don't think he's over the pudding here i think he's got a point and i think that the the disconnect between what you guys talked about last week about you know fps shooters and flight sims with the uh, with hodas is that the fps shooter sort of came about with the age of the of the controller the PlayStation controller and the Xbox controller kind of look differently, but their layout is virtually identical. So that standardization that the FPS shooters took advantage of came about with a standardization of what a game controller really ought to look like. And that never happened with the HOTUS. The reason they're all the same is because Halo perfected it and everybody used their Halo control scheme. There's so been there you mild go. tweaks since then. Yeah, I, so. I, but, but in this regard, I think that the fact that there isn't even a standard keyboard and mouse control scheme for flight sims, or for space sims, I think that's more sticky than all of this joystick hullabaloo. The joystick stuff, those are always going to be niche. There's always going to be like a million controllers, and you know if you support the top ones, that's fine. It doesn't matter either way. But I should be able to sit down to a space game and be able to move around and not hit the button and fly into the wall because I forgot that R and F are up and down on Elite and uh, Control and Space are up and down on on Star Citizen. And also, I I mentioned the fact that I am not against a total remap. If you completely set up your joysticks a different way for each, if that's what you want, I don't want there to be no remapping or, or customization of them. I'm just saying that anybody that has a simple you know, Microsoft flight stick to the, you know, full-blown warthog should be able to know that if you push your stick forward, you go down. If you push your, pull your stick back, you go up and vice versa. It just makes for getting into the game and enjoying it so much better than uh, go, oh, okay, so I need to, I played this for a while and I need to know that I need to map my buttons to this, to do this function and that function. And yeah, I want maybe to move my up and downs to a different uh, hat or something like that. That comes after some playtime, not going, oh, I crashed into the wall because I thought I was going backward and not forward. You know what makes this a great debate question? Is that a week later, we're all still arguing about it, and none of us are ever going to be convinced the other one's right. So I know. Sean Newboy writes in and says, Great show. For community question one, no opinion yet. Community question two, don't play. Community question three, don't care too much, just as long as the basics are standard. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> hey, he seems pretty laid back, you know. Like, nothing much phases Sean Newboy, hey? <laughs> yeah. 
Friend called Phi wrote in and said, I certainly agree with the notion of a standardized control scheme. Between the space games I play and flight sims, it is daunting to know what out of the million options are needed to be manually bound when you start a game. I find it hard to get into them as a result. See, I see more responses for basic standardization than to say, oh, have a free-for-all, do what you want, you know. If you want your flight stick to be your thruster, then okay, hoser. It, you know, I'm thinking about this a little bit more. I, I think that it would be really nice for some of these games to have wizards for doing um, the, the key binding and things. Like, um, for instance, something that walks you through and says, okay, how, how, do you, how do you typically have your controller set up? Here's a suggested layout for what you, you're, you're thinking about, right? Now you're getting away from the basics, you know. Um, no, this is separate from the basics con- con- conversation. I think the basics for at least mouse and keyboard should be the same across the board with special buttons mapped to function keys or something like that, right? Everything else, I mean, like your basic ship movements should be the same in all these when you get in there. Now, if you want to do it totally different, you can still rebind. But uh, no, I'm thinking more along the lines of when people want to do like for instance, I did duals just do joysticks for a while. Trying to rebind and figure out dual joysticks was a multi-session, multi-day activity for me, right? And I, you know, I got I had fun with it and everything like that. But you know, the next set of keys came out and things rebounded, rebinded, and it is a bunch of pain. But having something that you know has like a bunch of pre layouts and a little wizard it says okay you know where would you like your missiles put you know and then instead of me hunting through the combat menu and finding missiles and things like that i think something to make it a little easier um uh, in the game i think would be nice philip delwolf writes in and says hi guys great job with your podcast love it when i have recovered from the christmas holidays i'll most certainly subscribe thank you philip but on the last podcast there was a couple of incorrect info bits about ed the shield boosters have not been nerfed and the python did not get the military slot but keep up the good work i'm the one that wrote that bit and so i'm 90 percent sure that we said the shields didn't get nerfed i think the shield boosters got a little bit taken off the top at least on the resistances so some of the resistances got nerfed on the shield boosters but maybe not the overall percentages uh for the for the uh, raw shield hit points but yeah, the, the controversial uh, shield booster nerfing of the stacking didn't go in. They're going to uh, take some more time to test those uh, outputs uh, in there. But um, <clears throat> so uh, about the Python not getting the military slot. Uh, yeah. So um, it's controversial because, you know, the Python should have gotten the military slot. And I strongly oppose the fact that it did not get the military slot. But uh, the, uh, the, 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 the members of the board here at, uh, at the Guard Frequency have chastised me uh, strongly for trying to insert my strongly held opinions as fact. Uh, and uh, I, I, I shan't do it again. My wrist has been firmly slapped. Yeah, in this case, being chastised by the board equals getting hit by the board. <laughs> An actual board, yes. Silent Hunter wrote in about 2.6. It's got Lumberyard in it, so okay. <laughs> The latest version of the Robert Space Industry game feels like a slightly bigger jump than a 2.5 to 2.6, mostly because of the introduction of the FPS mode. So he had several individual points enumerating his opinions of the Persistent Universe in general and Star Marine in particular. Unfortunately, we have to cut it due to time. He wraps it up by saying, I view Star Citizen as a jigsaw puzzle. A sizable chunk has just been added, but there are still many pieces missing. I'm having a lot more fun with my Viper Mark IV at the moment. Good ship. So I I, I agree on the 2.6 stuff, uh, mostly. I think that it is, it's a really big thing. And it's been a big thing for a lot of people that are streaming the game, a lot of people that are playing the game. It's really reinvigorated a lot of the the space combat for me, and and obviously the FPS has been great, so... Good all around, um, and as he also points out in his some of his points, there are still some things to work on, and so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep an ear to the ground for those things. Charles Gagney writes in and says, Great show, guys. Nice to put a face to all those great voices. Keep expanding your content, joining your org. All right, yay. Welcome aboard. Bunch of faces for radio. Yeah, we do. Yeah, that's for sure. But, but that, that does remind me, um, we are, we're still thinking about uh, redoing the Patreon to uh, include... Inviting you to our private instance on Elite Dangerous. I, maybe a lot of you don't play Elite Dangerous. Maybe you should. We didn't get any feedback on that, so we're going to go ahead and just do it anyway. 
So look for that change in our Patreon account uh, here in the near future that if you join at the low tier, um, one of the perks will be jumping in on our uh, private server on Elite Dangerous. So uh, watch out for that. Our new Patreons this week are... No one. (laughs) You make me sad. And it's a new year, so we're changing things up a bit. No longer will you be limited to one prompt for your responses. So this week's community questions. From Star Citizen, have you played Pirate Swarm? What's your impression? How does it compare to Vandal Swarm? For the Descent Underground community question, have you gotten your ass kicked in the tunnels? Do you think the bots are too hard? And does a new ground vehicle in No Man's Sky pique your interest in the game? Or is this physical merchandise failure the final nail in Hello Games' coffin? You've heard our thoughts, so we want to hear yours. Drop us an email, a tweet, or a comment on our show's post, which you can find on our website and over on our Facebook page. So, how was the show? Did we swarm all over you with information? Or did it just feel like a tunnel-bound ass-kicking? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment over at the show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or you could hit us up on Twitter, at GuardFreak. Or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 152 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 153 on January 31st, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything on Friday nights, you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com live. We record around 10 p.m. Central, which is Saturdays at 4 a.m. GMT, if you happen to be the Pope. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. And as Tony mentioned, it also now includes an entry to our Elite Dangerous group. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign sections for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series, the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure and track them out over at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry being Lowmaster, and our artist, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Chase Pintad, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Tony, send your send your complaints to squawk at guardfrequency.com. No, I'll, I'll do that. At guardfrequency.com. I just you know, I just email again. Yeah, what's that email again? No, I just you know. Oh, let's not start. Please. <laughs> An unintended glitch in the mission chain delving into alien technology nope. That's archaeology. Descent Underground is currently playing with their lights. This isn't because crisp Yeah, I'll just start that over again. One of those Delvers hit virtual play dirt. References to ground vehicle. Oh, 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 oh. you said play dirt, not play oh, dirt. Sorry. So one quick note before we start the discussion: um, isn't the game wasn't the game fifty bucks? So wouldn't it be three hundred percent more than the base cost? How much was the Explorer edition? Uh, I didn't care about this game, so I, I didn't pay any. Well, the Explorer edition. A hundred. Yeah. It's the game was fifty. The 
explorer was 150 um but i i said it's 150 percent more as opposed to it's it's the semantics of the wording all right because i just want to make sure it's 300 it's 300 percent of the base cost but it's 150 percent more the math changes because of the wording okay all right well i'll believe you i'm sure if i'm wrong somebody's gonna call me out in feedback, yes so. it will be me <laughs> <laughs> no, it it will always be no. you. It just what in what this they'll do. Case, what they'll do I'll is they'll say, fault. Tony, you should have stepped in and said, no, Ostron, one hundred dollars is it's a hundred dollars more than fifty. That's actually two hundred percent of fifty dollars, and so two the correct value would be two hundred percent more than the base cost. That's what they'll say. That Tony, you should have said that, but of course, well, you just did. Da- Damn it, Tony. But we'll put this all in the bloopers so people will still say I'm wrong. And that'll be funny, and it'll be feedback, and our mission will be accomplished. Cryptor, 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 yowzer.